back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Black Incorporate Executive Coffee Chats. We have a very special guest with us today. I'm really excited for us to welcome Samira Sharif. And let me know if I'm saying it correctly. Yes, you are fine. Samira okay. is, it rhymes with Amira. Samira, you're perfectly. Thanks, Taylor, for having me. Yes. She's the current vice president of U.S. Networks Distribution at Viacom CBS. She's mm-hmm. a communications graduate from the New York University and a media and entertainment pro with over 20 years of industry experience, starting out with Rough Riders Entertainment in 1999 as a marketing manager. Super duper cool. And she already knows I'm a big fan. So I <laughs> just to get into that. Um, Samira also gives back a lot. Uh, she's a mentor, uh, informally, I'm sure, to dozens, and also mm-hmm. formally as a troop leader with the Girl Scouts in New Jersey, which is super admirable. So uh, definitely someone to look up to and to walk in the footsteps behind her. So thank you so much, Samir, for all that you've done and the trail that you've left for young girls like me. I don't know if I could be called young girls, but young women. Yes, you're young. <laughs> I'm 26 now, uh, but yes. Oh, yeah. You're young. (laughs) Love it. Love it. The follow behind. But thank you so much. Cute little applause. Thank you for having me. Yes, 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 yes. Now, in true fashion of Black and Corporate, we do an icebreaker. So I do want to, you know, of course, bring you in the same way. Go go through that rite of passage for uh, the start of our show. So we'll do 10 quick right. questions. Okay. Are you Take ready? it easy on me. Easy. Okay. Yes. Right. Whatever comes to mind first. Okay. Okay. In terms of nails, are you one to do manicured red or self-maintained clear? Manicured red. Okay. Are you a pointy Manic- toe or round toe pumps? Pointy toe. Who does round? Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm pointy toe. Okay, red lipstick or neutral color lippy? You right here. We do. We doing red. Red. Yes. Okay. Slick back bun or twist out? Oh my gosh! I didn't know these questions ahead of time, but today is a slick back bun kind of look. But I do do a twist out. So okay. Are you one to venture for a group meeting or one-on-ones? That's a hard one. It depends. I can do both. I I like groups. I like one-on-ones. You know. Mm -hmm. Depends. It just depends. Okay. Apple or Microsoft products? Microsoft. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Morning walk or morning run? Morning run. Okay. Smile or straight face? Smile. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Are you one for a team brainstorm or individual work then come together? Team brainstorm. Okay. And are you bigger on daily stand-ups or weekly touch points? Weekly touch points. Love it. Okay. <laughs> that concludes my little team question lining right there. Well. <laughs> How did I do? Like, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know. 
Yes, no, that was great. I thank you for participating in that. It's always cool to just hear the answers, your preferences, you know. Um, yeah. It's more about your character. Like you said, today you're really wearing your brand with the red lippy and the slick back. Yeah, yes, yes. That's what, you know, if I can get it in the slick back, I'm going to put it back there. So Okay. You know. <laughs> we love that. So, <laughs> so as we say, you know, you have an amazing commercial, career commercial um, for all the experiences that you've acquired so far but we do want to start at the beginning and just even before we even get to your career just your upbringing mm-hmm. what were your influences coming up to even lead you to where you are today like what kind of inspired you to know that you can make it into the entertainment industry okay so uh we gotta go way back all right so upbringing born and bred in north new jersey so i gotta represent for the brick city like you know born and bred um, I went to college at NYU. I wanted to go away to college. I wanted to go to a historically black college or university. That didn't happen. It's a long story, but um, that didn't happen. So I ended up staying local. Basically, NYU was a commuter student. So I didn't even live on campus. And I didn't want to go there. So um, I did everything in my power to get out of there as quickly as possible. Because again, it wasn't my first choice. I didn't want to go there. I was trying to call myself being rebellious and like hating college. So um, I finished early. Like I took, I finished in about three years because I took the max amount of credits each semester, like 20 plus. Um, and I didn't go to summer school. So I was just packing on. Um, and along with that came internships because they gave me more credits. Um, and I was like, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get out of this school. <laughs> like, I don't want to be here. And so, um, one of the things when I first went to, I was going to be a microbiology major. Like, I called myself being a doctor. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go be a doctor, all that stuff. Started doing that. I was like, mm, no, I don't want to be a doctor. Maybe I'll do nursing. So then, I'm still in the medical field. So I was like, all right. But then I was doing anatomy and physiology classes, and I was like, mm, I don't want to do this. Now, mind you, in my upbringing. My mom always said, oh, you should go into communications. And my dad said, you should go into communications. My dad's an attorney. My mother was in education. So I was just like, I don't even know what communications is. Like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. So I just kind of ignored that. But of course, you know, third year in college, I switched over to what? Communications. And so it was just funny because all my friends were like, that's the dummy major. <laughs> you know, like, you know, my, my younger brother used to clown me because he was in engineering school. And I used to say, He's like, what classes are you taking? I was like, um, listening one-on-one. He was like, what? That's like basket weaving. What kind of class is that? So anyway, I used to get clowned all through college. It was fine. Um, but part of communications major was to get an internship. So one of my best friends from college, my only friend in college, that we're still friends now, because again, I didn't want to go there, didn't try to meet people, wasn't interested. So one friend, um, and we were reading back, those, back in those days, it was 17 magazines. And they had an article for like the best summer internships. And so they had a list of all of these companies. And so we were like, okay, well, we got to find an internship. We both applied for Atlantic Records. We both got the internship. So that was my foray into entertainment. Um, and, and I was actually trying to do some sports stuff at the same time. I was like, I applied for a Super Bowl internship stuff with the NFL. Um, but again, the music one is the one that came through. So that's what I went with. So I interned at Atlantic Records for my last two years of college, ended up getting a job in the marketing department, but the internship was in publicity. 
So at that time, I was working Brandy and Little Kim and um, Little C's. Like that was that era of the '90s. I guess I'm dating myself. You guys gonna calculate my um, golden era? <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll say. <laughs> we'll say when the R&B was like popping in the '90s and all that stuff. So um, I did that. Got a job there, and so I liked it. You know, it wasn't anything I looked to do. I was like, oh, I always want to be in the music industry. Like I said, I just happened to stumble upon it, enjoyed it, and kind of progressed that way. So I was there for a couple of years, um, became a coordinator to a manager, um, and then I left Atlantic Records for a publicity job at Def Jam for a hot second. Um, and then while I was there, I had an opportunity to join Rough Riders. So, and that was from someone else I knew who used to work at Undias. And she kind of told someone else, hey, maybe think about Samira might be interested. So anyway, kind of like knowing people a little bit. Um, and so I got the job at Rough Riders and was there for about six years. So when I got there, DMX, rest in peace, DMX, because we're still kind of, yes, yeah, it's so bad and tragic. Um, but when I got there, he had already kind of jumped off with the Def Jam label. So it was when Rough Riders got their label with Interscope. So I was on board with the launch of Eve's career, the Rough Rider volumes, one, two, one and two and three, maybe the Locks albums, the Styles P solo albums. So it was during that time that I was with Rough Riders for that six years. Um, and then the industry started changing a little bit. You know, piracy, Napster started hitting the scene. You know, all of the retail stores started closing down. No more Tower Records, no more FYE. Like, the industry was just going through a transition. And at that point, I was like, oh, man, I got to find a job. I don't know what's going to happen because a lot of people were getting laid off. It was a lot of consolidation was happening at the time. And a lot of qualified folks were all looking for the same jobs. Like, everybody wanted these marketing manager jobs at the label. Um, okay, just to back up a little bit, the marketing manager role was like, you were like the nucleus between the album. So if the album was to come out, I don't know, December, you're the person that kind of makes sure every department is staying on task with the time frame. You got the photo shoot happening. You got the studio stuff being complete. You got all the artwork happening. You know what I mean? You're like the main go-to person between every department, um, as well as with the artists themselves. So you're the go-to. You're the first line of defense pretty much um, with the project. So everyone was scouring, scouring for those jobs because, you know, it was just a plethora of people doing that. Artists were all over the place. You had labels, you had bad boy. You know, it was just a lot of people vying for the same job. So it was at that time when I just said, you know what, I have to think about what's my next move. And I started looking into, I was just looking for jobs that had the same skill set that I had learned in the music industry. You know what I mean? Like, communication, dealing with clients, you know, I don't know, keeping everybody in line on time frames, adhering to deadlines, like just, just looking for job descriptions that kind of had that, you know, um, skill set. And so I stumbled upon, here I go stumbling again, another uh, a position in the cable industry at Oxygen Media. Now at the time, Oxygen was just launched with Oprah. She was part of that network. That was her foray into TV as far as like her own network. And so she was part owner of that network. And it was an independent, it wasn't owned by anyone, a women's targeted network run by women. Um, and the title was basically affiliate sales. And I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that is, but I can do the job. 
like reading it. So got the interview, crushed the interview. Um, and it was good because they were looking for someone with a different background. And I came from music. So it was totally different from cable. And so part of that interview process was me trying to just demonstrate that my skill set transitioned over to what they were looking for, dispel the rumors of the music industry that is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, it's, it is a legit job, you know? Um, and so they gave me a chance, pretty much. They was just like, okay. So worked at Oxygen for a number of years. Um, and then from there, landed a job because someone else said, oh, you might be interested in a job over at MTV Network. I was like, oh, that'll be perfect. It'll marry my music industry from way back when with this newfound cable knowledge that I know. I'm working for MTV Networks. And so I was like, okay, fine. So I did MTV for another six or so years. And so my role there was doing marketing and sales and it's working with the pay TV cable operators, trying to get certain channels launched on your channel lineup. So this is one side of the industry I didn't even know existed, like going to college, going to high school. You know, you think cable, you think of the cable guy who's just installing <laughs> your service um, and not knowing that it's a huge business behind it. So basically, my role was to work with these cable operators, whether it's Comcast, whether it's DirecTV, and get them to launch our channels on the channel lineup. Because back then, you had different channels in different areas. And some, you know, it's like, oh, I don't have that channel. Why don't I have that channel? You know, so it was a sales process to get that channel on your lineup. And so that's what I did. Um, and work in the negotiations, the contracts. And then on the marketing side, it was doing marketing promotions with the local markets to let their customers know, oh, hey, we're doing the Nickelodeon, I don't know, Kids' Choice Awards. And we're having a local live event come down. Again, trying to create um, a great relationship between the customer and the cable operator because everyone hated their cable because it's always a high bill, that sort of thing. So it was more on the B2B side with a little bit of consumer um, for marketing, but the sales side was definitely talking to decision makers and justifying why launching logo is important to their business. So that was, that was like really the main job. So I was there for a number of years, a um, few restructures and reorgs. Left there, I went to CBS, which was a Viacom sister company at the time. They had already spun off, but um, they used to, they still were sister companies, but two separate companies. Um, and so, and I, I left because I wanted to do more negotiation. You know, I wanted to be at the table doing the deal. I wanted to be closer. Like NTV is a large organization, so it was a lot of layers to actually be in the room to negotiate. And I was like, I want to see how the sausage is made, you know, this is where the money is. And so I wanted to be closer to that process. CBS had an opportunity for me to actually own accounts, own the process, you know, be able to actually negotiate the money, have ownership over that. Um, and I was really attracted to that. So went over there um, for another number of years. <laughs> and then with this merger that just happened in 2020, I'm back reunited with Viacom. So I'm now back with Viacom representing both brands, all of the Viacom 20-something brands, along with CBS Broadcast, CBS Sports Network, and Smithsonian. So, but doing that same type of work of sales, negotiation, doing the deals. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's a small world to just go back. So 
that's another <laughs> tip you never know. You know, I'm sure everyone has heard, don't burn bridges. But you really, especially in the entertainment industry, it's so small um, that in my case, literally, Taylor, I'm working for the same person I worked with when I was at Viacom the first time. Wow. And good thing we had a good relationship even when I left because it could have went either way. A lot of people lost jobs during that merger. And she could have said, oh, we, it, Samira wasn't a good fit when I worked with her before and I don't want her on my team again. She could have easily said that she was in a position of influence that I think could have, you know, it could have been a different way and I might not be there. So um, it's important with all of those kind of relationships um, just to not burn them. So, but yeah, that's the story of kind of how I got here through that. I mean, and during this process, a lot of uh, mentoring and, you know, NAMIC, I don't know if you guys are familiar with NAMIC, but that's the National Association of Multi-Ethnicity and Communication. So that's went through that leadership program um, and part of that mentoring program as well. So yeah, that's, that's cable. Um, but like I said, it was an industry I didn't even know existed or a side of the business. I had no idea about that was not presented to me at career day. So yeah. <laughs> it was just yeah. something that just happened. Yeah. And I want to get into, you know, you made a lot of different transitions early in your mm-hmm. career and, you know, even as you progress and I'm curious to know, like, what were the things that helped you make those transitions? I know you said networking, but were you on a regimen with like, you know, I, I worked in New York my first two years um, at Deloitte. And so I know mm-hmm. how you know, the scene after work is with happy hours and things. And I'm sure I know it was an even bigger scene when you were starting out <laughs> in that hot time, you know, mm-hmm. as far as meeting people and being able to mingle and brush shoulders with like really influential folks. So were you on a schedule where you were like, all right, I know I got to get out and touch hands with people, you know, at least once a week. <laughs> How did you manage? No, that? you know what? And that's the, that's the part of the job. That's like, that's one of my areas of growth. <laughs> Cause I didn't do a lot of, networking per se. It wasn't intentional. I'll say that. It wasn't an intentional network. I didn't have a schedule. But yes, when we had events and happy hours that might have been hosted by various trade organizations, I definitely went, you know, um, just so my face was out there. I was on committees, for instance, with NAMIC. I was the secretary for a couple of years for the New York chapter. I was on the programming committee at certain things. So any trade organizations, I would try to at least stay active. Um, cause again, it, you know, keeps your name and face out there. Again, um, cable industry was not a diverse area. So a lot of people remembered me, the only black person, probably, I mean, not the only, but few of us were there. And when we, in the early days, it was a lot of travel. So I would always travel to my clients. I would travel to other industry events and I would be the only one that looks like me in the room. So that also made me a little bit more memorable. <laughs> to the clients, you know, and although my name is Samira, but everyone calls me Sam. So it's not too many black women, Sam's. So that was another thing. And that kind of, you know, stuck out. I'm like, oh, it's Sam from MTV. And I kind of know that, you know, so it was more of that type of networking as opposed to it being intentional. Um, I did volunteer for a mentorship program and I got, um, I got paired with someone because I was the mentee and this particular person was the GM of I think he was the GM of Food Network at the time. And we were just paired together. 
And so I tried to take advantage, advantage of that as much as I could. But you know what? It wasn't an organic relationship. It felt like, you know, we both were doing it because we got paired up. So I don't think I took full advantage of it as much as I could have if it was an organic thing. It's like, oh, we just click. And it just becomes this mentee-mentor relationship. So it was a little awkward to me. <laughs> and I've never done another one since. And I think maybe. So now all of my relationships are more on the informal side. Like we're not just paired up because he does what I do and I could probably help him type of thing. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not intentional, but I do make a point of going to things and being seen and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I think that is important. And then the one thing I want to mention on the networking side about knowing people, and if someone told me this a while ago, and it's not about who you know, I think it's about who knows you. Like I can say I know a lot of people, but do they know me? Probably not. You know what I mean? And you want someone to actually vouch for you. That's what you want. You know what I mean? I think um, that's important. So when people say, oh, it's all about who you know, I'm like, yeah, but who knows you too? Who's calling on your behalf and sponsoring you? And that's what you really, that's what you really want um, someone to do. So that's just my own little tidbit (laughs) on networking. No, that's good because I, yeah, that's, I agree. Who's speaking your name yeah. in these rooms? Super Who's, important. Yeah. And you're mm-hmm. right. The world and what are they saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what are they saying? So that's, yeah. that's the one thing. And that's, like I said, it's still a growth area for me. Like, I don't, I mean, I think, I don't know if anyone's saying anything bad about me, but I don't know if I'm at the top of everyone's mind. Like, oh, Sam, you know, because I may not be out there as much as I probably could be or should be, um, but I do think it's important, you know, just to have some mentors and knowing people you can call, and even if they don't know that you're their mentor or that you're their mentee, you don't even have the title on it, but you know, there's a person you could call for like a little advice, so I do have some of those folks in my corner, so that's, that's a good thing too. Yes, now, I do want to get into your actual tasks and duties that you were given in the beginning because um you know you did hold so many hats wear so many hats and it's kind of like how did you know what to do and what were you even doing you know in the beginning when you you know starting out from your internship with Atlantic was it just Mm -hmm. you know little things as far as like um whatever needs to be done like were you just kind of making copies or printing out stuff (laughs) Uh, transcribing notes or whatever. Yeah. Like, what, what was that like? Okay, so my intern duties at Atlantic, I was in the urban music department working with um, Sidney Margison, who is still there. He is the SVP of publicity at Atlantic Records, and we're still in touch. Hey, Sydney. So he was my first boss. He's a Howard grad, um, and we were in publicity. And so the types of things I was doing was literally, and again, this is pre-digital age, like we weren't all on email that much. So I was cutting out press clippings, like Brandy's on the cover of 17. So I would cut that out, tape it, make color copies, <laughs> distribute it to everyone on various floors in the building so that they knew what our team was doing. It was more of letting people know what you've accomplished. We will put together press books. So after I don't even know how long, maybe a few months of press, you put a whole press kit together kind of thing and you would send it to management. So that management knew, look at all this press we're garnering. 
Um, I would help set up interviews. If she was, is it at, let's say I'm working Brandy, for instance, we would do phone interviews. You would work, you would do a press day. So our VP would set up a press day, which is having a day full of interviews for the artist. Set them up in a conference room and you knock out a bunch of phoners. So I would help schedule that phoner, make sure everyone's kind of set up and what they need to do. Um, when it was time to do photo shoots for press, you know, help um, pick them hair and makeup artists. You know, some of that was fun, you know, ask for, call these agencies who rep photographers, stylists, makeup artists, hairstylists, and say, hey, send me all your portfolios. And we would go through, see who we think would be great. You know, so it was that sort of thing. It was all about the image um, in the press department. Um, we also were, so we were responsible for garnering prints and TV. So when they were performing on, let's say, The Late Show or back, I don't know, was Arsenio Hall on back? I don't know, but whatever <laughs> it was, it was TV shows along with award shows, Soul Train Awards, um, Grammys, all of that stuff. So you kind of help facilitate those calls. I would do travel. I would work with the travel agent, book travel, hotel for the artist. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of hands-on stuff. I mean, it was photocopies were part of it because you had to disseminate information. Um, but it was all about securing interviews and listening to my VP and basically what publicity is, which kind of set me up with the skill set for sales that I know people hate to use the word sales, but it was about pitching. We had to pitch to Seventeen Magazine or InStyle Magazine. Why should they do this article on Brandy or Little Kim? You know what I mean? You're talking about and then you got the music publications and things like that. So it was more of a sales pitch, which is what I did when I got my interview at Oxygen. They were like, how are you going to transition what you're doing in music to what we need? And I was like, it's still pitching. It's a different product, but the skill set is the same. And literally on the spot, I remember at Oxygen, <laughs> the hiring manager said, pitch me for the cover of Glamour. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I just thought of that. I can't remember what I said, but. I said something that obviously got me the job, but you know what I mean? You, it was, again, that's really where I guess the building blocks of like selling because you're pitching something. you got to just, you got to tell me why. And you're talking to editors, you're talking to writers and all of these folks and trying to justify why they should do something for you. And so the other thing with press and publicity is that it's free. You don't really pay for it. Like mm -hmm. they really got to want it and hope that it helps their audience and all that sort of stuff. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of that. I don't call it grunt work. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like I said, I was making copies. I was cutting out press kits and circulating things and putting press kits together. So that was like if a magazine, I remember my boss, Chrissy, she would say, oh, we need to get 20 press kits sent out. So we have mailing lists. You know how you have your contacts? Mm -hmm. You have a mailing list and you put together a press kit that includes the bio, the headshot that you pick, the eight by 10 and a sample of the music. And so we would send that out in nice little folders and you send that across the country. Again, trying to get people to bite and do a story mm -hmm. on it. So that's the, that's the type of things. And so we also hired people to write bios. We set that up. So it was, you know, it was interesting. It was good learning. I liked it. And then from there, more of the marketing, when I got the job as marketing, it was, I started out as kind of like an assistant role. So I was answering phones doing that sort of thing, keeping the boss on task, like, hey, don't forget you got to approve this, making sure approvals were happening when they needed to. So you kind of keep the train. That's um, pretty cool. 
Because that was yeah. your internship. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, that was what you were doing. So it's kind of like your first. Um, that was like my first. Yeah. Like in the media, media industry. Because I mean, I, I mean, like I said, I was doing a lot in college because I was trying to get out. But I also had another job. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. wasn't my job. This was just my internship. I was working at a hotel in reservations, checking in people in New York City. Oh, wow. As like a front desk clerk. Oh, I'm sure you have like so much, so many stories from that too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, oh yeah, I was doing a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, so your transition, because that was an internship, right? That was an internship. Yes. So when you were, your first full-time role was, you said. It was still at Atlantic, but in the marketing department. So So literally the publicity department and marketing department literally were right next door, kind of not even next door. We were all on the same floor. Um, And we joke about this when we were working because we were on the 25th floor. That was like the urban music floor, basically all black people. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was crazy. And I don't think I noticed it as much while I was there. But like now I'm like, wait, we were segregated on this 25th floor. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All of us were there. So anyway, it was like black press over here. And then it was like urban marketing over here. We had urban promotions down the hall, rap promotions. But we all were on the same hour. Did that kind of cloud your view of corporate America? Because all you were kind of seeing, at least in that little space, was, you know, people that look like you, people that were listening to stuff you were listening to, you know. Yeah. I don't think I realized it. But yes. I mean, I was a little, it was a buffer. Like, you know, because I was early in my career. So I just didn't recognize the things that were happening. Like I said, I didn't even really realize like, oh my gosh, it's only us on this floor. Cause I just didn't think that way. Whereas when I talked to some of my other colleagues who like went to HBCUs, they're like, that's the first thing I noticed. I was already aware <laughs> that this already looks crazy. And I'm like, really? I guess it does. You know what I mean? I just didn't, I didn't realize it, but it totally was. We all were on the 25th floor. They all looked like me. Yes, we all went in common. You can come in as yourself, right? We listen to the same music. So yeah, I think you're right. It was a little bit, a little bit of a cloudiness that really changed when I got into cable because that same environment, you know, went with me to Def Jam after Atlantic and Rough Riders. They all look like me. We all had a lot of stuff in common. Like it was, it was fine. But yes, when I went into cable at Oxygen, it was a totally different environment. It was all female, which was a kind of a good thing, but they were also people that were white. They didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. So that was a different dynamic altogether. It, it was, yeah, it was totally different. The music was a little more heavily male, mm-hmm. um, but they were black guys. And, you know, you already have a little camaraderie with people that look like you, but it was definitely different when I got to Oxygen. I was just like, okay. And it was, and at the same time, although it was different than music industry, it still wasn't corporate corporate because they were an independent network. So okay. they were still doing things, you know, that if you're a public company that you still, you know, it's kind of looked as, you know, we had beer on Fridays and vodka parties and <laughs> all this crazy stuff that you wouldn't really do at a public company. So, you know, when you're independent, you can kind of in private you kind of do what you want to do. So it still wasn't as corporate, corporate as what I know now. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. just say that. Yeah. So still, yeah. 
I have one more question about uh, the beginning. So when you were making your transition again, you know, saying that it was uh, really comfortable, really natural, it seemed like to fit Mm -hmm. into the environment. um, How did you do that translation of your duties and, you know, your responsibilities to like a new environment, you know, oxygen, were you ever Mm kind of worried that they wouldn't understand, you know, all your, the, the wealth of your experiences? Um, was that ever something that you were like, okay, how can I translate this um, to this new industry, new function? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think, I don't think I went in. I mean, I did go in knowing I had to prove to them that I can, that the skills translated. They just had to see it. Um, I don't think, um, that's actually good. I don't I just felt like I had to prove myself, you know what I mean? A little bit just because it was music more so that I think people don't even realize or think that that's a real job. So I think it was just more of me saying, no, I know how to speak to people. I know how to present myself and present materials and items and things like that. So, um, and they started off with small promotions of like selling in things. And so I think as and I think I thought it was going to be harder than it was. And once I was able to do it and I found success, I'm like, oh, this is what this is? Oh, we just ain't nothing. We got this. You know, it was that sort of thing. So, like I said, I was on a smaller team. So it gave me a little bit of confidence because I saw the success come out of what I was doing. So I think that gave me a little bit more confidence. My chest was poked out a little bit like, mm-hmm. okay, we can do this. So it wasn't, I think it was more self-induced pressure. I don't think they, they didn't give me any pressure. I don't think I, I just felt like I needed to. Cause I was like, all right, you're coming from, you know, death jam and hip hop. They don't even know what that is, but they gave you a shot, obviously. So I recognize when people are like, okay, well they hired me for a reason. Cause they think I can do the job and I know I can do the job. So let's just, just do it. So I think having some level of confidence is important. I mean, even if you don't know everything and it's a lot to learn, like I said, this was a totally new industry. I had to learn it. I didn't even know, like I said, I thought cable was the installation guy. So I just had to say, oh, okay, that's what we're selling. Oh, that's the goal. And for me, understanding the why helps me. So when I'm, I have a team, I try to give them all the context. Like this is how we fit into the food chain of the organization and why our job matters. So I think when I was at Oxygen, I understood the message early on. It was like, hey, we're a small network. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get distribution on these cable channel lineups. Our biggest competition is Lifetime because that was a women's targeted network as well. So how do we do that? And so that was it. And it was like getting in front of whoever you could to convey the value of your product. And so what we hinged things on was like, okay, we didn't have any hit programming on Oxygen. Like the, the biggest thing we had was like, oh, Oprah's backing us. And um, the early days. You didn't really have, yeah, it was early Bad Girls have Club, any, I know. Right, exactly, you know, exactly. Bad Girls Club, you had Oprah, but we didn't have the Lifetime movies. We didn't have all that stuff. So the other thing we had to tap into was research. We did have a wealth of research about how the woman is the decision maker in the home. So she pays your cable bill right. and she pays for the high speed internet. 
And she needs the high-speed internet because she's online shopping and she's helping the kids with homework Googling. Mm -hmm. So those are things that is needed. And so since she's making a decision, you need to talk to her because she's going to be the one to get the highest-speed internet from your cable company. Like, if all of that. So that was, yeah. that was the hook of the power of the woman in the household and making these decisions and why you need to tap into her. So it was just all of that. So that so, was the hook. Yes, I was going to say, it seems like the, I, if I can venture to say your passion or like, you know, what really was your thing is the mm -hmm. selling piece. Um, and it kind of seems like a common thread from even your beginnings in music till now, mm -hmm. like the selling piece and even with communications, you know, your degree, um, how to sell, were you then, and once you came into oxygen, it almost mm -hmm. seems like that's when you were like, all right, this is kind of what I want to do. Like, I like this, I can do this. Yeah. So once you had that job and you started doing well, and of course you've ascended into different roles, kind of along the same path, um, where mm -hmm. you like, okay. I'm about to map it out because I like this. So I want to stay here as far as like in this, uh, I guess, vertical, if you mm -hmm. will, and just like work my way up. Did you have that conversation with yourself or was it just like, okay, this is cool. Let's just, you know, bop around. I always ask this question because I'm just curious. Kayla, I am so unorganized and yeah. I am not that. I, You know what? And I hate to sound like this, but I don't plan that well. Like, not with my career. Like I said, it started with the internship. We just stumbled upon it. It was like, we just applied. Everything kind of just was like, oh, that just happened. <laughs> and I don't want to make it sound like it's that easy, but it was like, stuff kind of landed there. And I was in the position where I was like, oh, I actually enjoy it. So yeah, you excel. I didn't hate it. You know, I didn't want to say, oh, let me switch careers. I actually did enjoy it. So um, it just kind of went from there. And like, when you do something that you like, and you get recognized for it, why wouldn't you keep going? You know what I mean? It was kind of one of those things. It wasn't necessarily a path. The one thing that was a conscious decision was when I left Viacom to go to CBS, and I, know, I knew I wanted to do deals and just be closer to that process. So I specifically was looking for opportunities that said, hey, you're going to be in the room negotiating this billion-dollar deal. That's where I want to be. So that was kind of, I guess, the intentional piece of it. It was like, you know what? I actually like it. I want to do it. The cable industry is very warm, I guess. Like they have a lot of opportunities and trade organizations and things like that. And it's the saying that like once you're in cable, you never leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, everyone just moves around and people know you. But I actually enjoy the work, enjoy the industry. Um, I always worked around great people yeah. and that's a big thing for me. Like we're spending hours and hours with you guys, you know, in a day you want to like the people you're working with. So I genuinely did like at each of my jobs. I enjoyed working with the people. Um, so yeah, I wish I could say I had a full out plan, but no, I, did. I didn't really have a plan, but I did like the selling piece. I just like interacting with people, interacting yeah. with clients. And, that's, and then early on, I stopped saying that I was in the sales department because the connotation of sales is like used car salesman, commission-based, hitting quotas. You know, you have all of this 
connotation of what sales means. And it never was that for me because that wasn't the type of selling I was doing, but it just fell under that umbrella. Um, and I used to tell people, oh, I do. Sometimes I would say sales, but I would always put in the marketing side, sales and marketing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> instead of like just sales. But, and so even nowadays, like even for someone looking for jobs, do not shy away from anything that says sales because it's the skill set that you are learning, talking with people, pitching, negotiating, listening, understanding their needs. Um, all of those skill sets are invaluable. So I would encourage people. I mean, I'm not going to say go and take a quota job and make all these 20 cold calls <laughs> for some insurance, co- you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But don't be afraid of when you see something that says sales coordinator or just the word sales, um, because the skill set is a foundation for any industry of any job. You have to be able to present, right? You need to be able to speak. You need to be able to pitch. You need to be able to convince people why. Why would I do that? And that kind of helps build your confidence. That helps you learn things. So um, that would be another little tidbit. Don't shy away from the word sales because yeah, it's helpful. <laughs> okay. And definitely, of, of course, in your career, you, you've been reaping the benefits. So Yeah, but I think you can transit. Like I said, it's the skill set that can go to right. any industry. Right. You know, you can switch out and be a PR person. You can be, I mean, you can do anything with a sales background. Right. That's what I'll say. So, yeah. Or at least pick up that skill set somewhere. But it's usually early in your career where you can get it and really get comfortable. Um, with all of those skills. So I have a question. As you transition from the environment, you know, that, um, you know, everyone was, you're, again, going back to the comfortability piece. And now mm-hmm. you've been in an environment where, you know, you were kind of one of the few, if not the only, and mm-hmm. you've been ascending, you know, in that mm-hmm. environment. I'm sure there had to be some, well, maybe, and then maybe there weren't some instances that were difficult to navigate with just you being a black woman, um, any uncomfortable moments. And if so, how did you deal with that? How did you move past that? Have those conversations, you know, tough moments with colleagues to kind of resolve or like at least confront some issues if there were any. Yeah, there were, I mean, there's one particular during my time at Oxygen, um, like I said, that was full of women, full of white women. And I really honestly felt that I was passed up for a promotion. I think is when I first recognized, like, are you serious right now? So, like I said, I was kind of new. Oh, well, I'm not even kind of. I was new to the industry, right? I didn't know. But it's, I was about my second year at Oxygen. So I had already had some successes under my belt. Like my other colleagues, I surpassed, let's just say, certain promotions. Let's say you're supposed to sell in, I don't know, 30 promotions a year. I bought, I sold in 40. You know what I mean? So I already knew I was excelling um, and I felt I deserved a promotion. And so, um, and I had, and at that time, I don't think I had had conversations about it. And this is another tip. Um, I've never vocalized that, hey, I want a promotion. I thought you can see how well I'm doing. You should give me the promotion. Don't you see all that I'm doing? Like, why, why is this even an issue? Like, this is a no-brainer. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> so, um, 
so the context is no, I didn't have the conversation, but again, I felt like I deserved it. You see all the work I'm doing. I should just get it. You should reward me for my hard work. Well, that definitely was not the case. In this particular instance, one of our managers, she was going on maternity leave, I think. And so anyway, my colleague got the promotion. And I was just like, really? Like, why did you give it to her? You know, I was already doing way better than she was, working harder, like, you know, and she was another white woman. So I felt that that promotion should have been mine. Um, but they gave it to her and I thought that they gave it to her because she was another white woman. Like this other woman wanted to leave, go on maternity leave and leave the department, you know, with someone she was comfortable with. Um, and so that was just how I took it. And I, I was so pissed. Like I was so mad. And even other folks saw it. They were like, how she did it? Like she doesn't even do half the stuff. So it was a little bit obvious. So I didn't really confront it. I just was, it was just an internal drive of like, I got to get out of here. Like this, this isn't cool, you know? And so that was kind of how I handled it. Again, I was younger. I would not have done that now. Um, and again, I don't know what that other person, I don't know if she's had conversations about being promoted. She might've known to do that before me. Like, I don't know what her strategy was or how it worked, but the way it looked to me, how I felt was like, I was overlooked for deserving promotion. So you know what? You need to find another place to be because if you weren't recognized, then you're not going to be recognized the next time around. At least that's how I took it. Mm. So I just used that to just find another job. <laughs> like I was there, but I was, I was just looking for a job. Like, okay, this is my first entry into cable. All right. Oxygen, nice stepping stone. Now that I know what this industry and what this particular position does, I actually like it. Clearly I've been excelling because they did, I started out as a manager. Uh, did I, start? I think I started out as a manager. Then, yes, and then I did get promoted once to senior manager. So I was looking for that senior manager to director. Gotcha. Next step is what I was looking for. Um, and I didn't get that there. So I said, all right, now I know. So that was around the time that I left and went over to Viacom. Wow. That's a, that's a story. That's a definitely... Um, a crux I feel like being black in corporate America yeah because it's like it's hard to find the answers when you feel like you're throwing up all like your best and it's just yeah but what I what I will say and that I like I said I didn't do this before is advocate for yourself your work is not enough gotcha. doing the work is not enough okay do the work tell people what you're trying to do that goes back to that networking a little bit it's like hey how did you you know self-advocate for yourself and just well, that's redundant but you know what i mean tell people yeah. what you want to do what path what you enjoy about your job you have to talk about yourself because again that makes it makes you a little bit more memorable in somebody else's head it's like oh i was just talking to her about that and she said blah 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 you know what i mean so and you said i've learned Oh, I was just going to say, that's probably what you're going to get into. I was going to say, you say you would handle it differently now. Yeah. Like, what would you have done if it was like now and that situation came about? If it was now and I felt like I needed a promotion, I would start planting seed, letting people know I'm ready to take on the next thing, just volunteer for additional responsibility, um, you know, highlight my successes more often. I think in during, I mean, during my career, I had the opportunity to do several leadership trainings, various things. And part of those trainings are, you know, you take 
self-awareness test. So you find out your leadership style, what kind of person you are, what motivates you, all this kind of stuff. And so during one of those, I realized, or at least what came out of a testing session, is that I'm the type of person that just does the work. And it seems that it comes to me easily. So people don't understand how much hard work I'm doing in the background because they just see the product. So they don't see the process. And so I have to be intentional about the process. Like, yeah, you guys see it when it's all wrapped up in a nice bow, but you don't know that I've negotiated 20 hours with this guy to get him to that point. So I've learned that I have to tell people about that 20 hours Mm. and say, you know, I can't make it seem like it's just so easy, even though they think it is. And it's like, oh yeah, Sam do it. Next thing you know, Sam does it and it's done. And so you don't really get that recognition. And so I have to say after, and this is intentional and I feel like it's worked, but I have to really be conscious and say, hey, after back and forth with blah, 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 we were able to do this. You know, I have to actually say that. And that goes back to people understanding the process and be like, wow, yeah, she does deserve this. Look how hard she worked. But if you don't say that, they don't know how hard you work. They just saw the product, the end result. So. Now I would plant seeds. I would just say how hard I'm letting people know, like I'm doing stuff. It may seem like there's nothing happening because you, you know, but it's a lot of work that goes into it. So I think I would let people know what I want to do, tell them. And so that's how I would handle it differently now um, than I did before. Before I was just angry and <laughs> was like, I got to get out of here because you guys don't see how great I am and how hard I'm working. So I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the best way <laughs> the best way to do it but um yeah I think that's kind of how you gotta work with corporate America and also you know you gotta be it's definitely not and the other thing is take the personal out of it some of it is personal but if you feel like things are personal I like to address it head on or you know if someone is trying to I can't even give an example like if if you just feel like something isn't right or they're giving you some kind of BS answer, I kind of probe a little bit. What exactly do you mean by that? Help me understand what you're looking for. If this isn't what you need, can you give me an example? You know, just so you can kind of un peel, unravel and peel back the onion a little bit and just understand what the issue is and making sure that it's not a racial issue. Mm. Because sometimes it is. And if you keep asking the right question, you're going to get to it. You know, but... um. It's definitely interesting. And corporate isn't for everyone. That's another thing I've learned. Like, it is definitely not for the faint of heart because it is a lot of politics. Um, and you got to know how to navigate and you just got to know the little, the subtle signs. Like I get a lot of friends, um, my nieces, they're around your age. And so she, one of them, she lives in LA and she's like, oh, Aunt Sam, my job said this to me. Um, that they're not promoting anybody because of budgets. I was like, BS, BS, like, mm. no, that's not right. Find out. And then, or, you know, that'll be one issue, but they're like, but I'm super cool with the supervisor. He kind of, we go out for drinks. We do this and that. I'm like, Mm-mm, nope. If they were your friend or any kind of advocate and they see something happening, like you're working hard and not getting recognized for it, that person would then talk to your boss. And make sure that you're getting what you deserve. I said, so don't get 
you know, just don't have your judgment clouded because you're friends with someone in the senior level. And it goes back to like, do they know you? If they're not going to fight for you, why are you hanging out with them? <laughs> if they know that you want to climb the ladder, then, and they're not doing that for you, cut them off or keep them in a certain zone. Don't expect them to do anything for you. You know what I mean? So I try to tell people like, I'm like, I'm an open book. Call me because sometimes they say stuff and it's not true. You know what I mean? They're just, you know, they're taking advantage of you because they think that you need the job, cheap labor, you fill in a quota, you're the token, like all kind of stuff can be the real motivator. But um, you just got to be able to recognize some of those behaviors, I guess. And you don't really know it until you're in it, which is weird. So, yeah. yeah. And. I guess on the whole, as far as your change, your transformation, how have you changed in your idea of being in corporate America, your idea of, you know, being an executive? How has that changed from the beginning to now? Let's and let's not go all the way back, but maybe like from when you finally were like, cool, I like this at Oxygen to now in a VP role, how have you changed and what are maybe some behaviors you've picked up so that you can, you know, navigate better uh, things maybe you wish you had known before you started on your ascension? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I might start when I was from um, the Viacom side. I think it was because I was a director. I was at a director level for a long time. And in my head, I was just like, you know, I was like, I got to get out of this director because it was just kind of middle management. And to me, VP felt like, woo, you know, you got your little something now. Like, you know what I mean? So I was like, how do I make that transition? And so it was more of, like I said before, just telling people what I was doing all the time. Like what, you know, what would my accomplishments, whoever will listen, um, I don't know, getting friends in other departments and just trying to just spread the network out a little bit laterally instead of just this vertical way of doing things like, oh, I just got to, my boss has to know that I'm doing great things, but it's not just him because you work with, or her, you work with us across other departments. So who has the ear of your boss? Oh, her. Okay. Let me, you know, Talk to them and get in their good graces and work with them so they see how well I am. Go on this side too. You know what I used to call the flanking strategy, like flank everybody. Like, cause you just never know who's going to say what. And it's, and your boss works so close with you. They don't even know how well you're doing. They just know you're getting work done. They don't know, like I said, back to, oh, I had to work with ops and strategy to even get this answer. Like they just don't know all that background. So I think part of it was just, understanding structure of how your particular organization is structured and looking around it's like okay people are getting promoted how are they getting promoted you know ask the question hey what do I have to do to get promoted what skill set do I need to check off to be considered for the next level I remember having a direct conversation with my boss when I was at Viacom and I was going from senior I guess manager to director And she, and this is the one thing I like about her. She was very direct. She said, you need to do blah, blah, blah. You know, she gave me three tasks. I need you to be able to do these things before you can even be considered. And I did them and I got promoted. And that's one of the things I actually love about her. She was a 
supervisor who was good to her word. You know, she knew what was in her control. She was clear, honest. We were transparent and she made good on her word. And that's kind of how I like to lead. If I know, look, you have to have these types of skills. I try to tell my team, this is what we need you to do. Take the initiative, close out these deals, you know, just be able to be proactive, not only reactive, think about the industry, read some trades, you know, do things like that. So I think understanding your respective company structure, how they operate, just look around, be aware, take notes. It's like, okay, that happened over here. Hmm, I wonder what she said to do that. Or, and sometimes my boss was oblivious about what was happening because, you know, if you're in middle management a little bit, you know what your colleagues and your peers like. You're like, oh, she can't promote it over here. Or oh, this was the boss sometimes doesn't even know. And I remember talking to one of my bosses at one time. I was like, hey, did you realize that everyone in this department has gotten promoted except for me? Mm. I said, so movement happens. Yeah. So don't tell me people aren't getting promoted. That's not true. And then you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that kind of stuff. It's like, no, I, I noticed this one and this one and that one. And they may have been at a lower position than I was. Like, let's say they went from coordinator to manager. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. The point is movement happens. So whoever wants it to happen, it can happen. Don't tell me, oh, we only do promotions on in the summer and in the winter. No, 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 no. That's not true because it's happened here. So with corporate, if they want, they can do whatever they want to do. There are no rules, if you ask me. Like, there are no rules. I mean, they try to say that there are rules, but no, it's exceptions all the time. And the question is, will they make the exception for you? Maybe not, but know that it's always room for negotiation. Always. And that's one of my other little things I learned from the music industry. And I'm sure people have heard this before. Like, it's not what you deserve. It's what you negotiate. That's it. Because you look at someone like, how did they get that? She probably just asked for it. (laughs) Right, right. Why did you ask for it? They might not have done anything crazy. If closed mouth doesn't get fed. You know what I mean? So I think that's definitely a new thing for me is actually speaking being a little bit more, not even a little bit, just being more vocal about what it is I want or what I want to do. You know, it's like, oh, I want to work on that project. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and when you ask, you rarely get turned down. I mean, they may say, oh, well, let us figure something. You know, they may push you off a little bit, but you rarely get a direct no. Because when someone actually tells you no, then you know, all right, how I got to move. Either I'm going to stay here or I'm not. You know what I mean? But if they sometimes they try to give you a little rope, but you, you know, you always got to try to have some kind of follow up or deadline. All right, we can revisit this in three months. Like never leave the conversation open ended. So when should I come back and we can talk about this again? Make them commit to you some sort of timeline, some sort of revisit. So it stays top of mind and you keep it top of mind. You know what I mean? But when you keep getting the Heisman, like, uh, uh, then, <laughs> then that tells you how you need to move. You know what I mean? You can make the decisions for you, but for yourself, but you definitely have to ask the questions, you know, um, read the signs. It's not always clear. That's the whole game of corporate. It's not always crystal clear on what they're doing. It's always like, okay, that don't sound right. 
let me ask for it. You know, it's always something. It's just, it's a game. And you either want to play it or you don't. And a lot of people don't want to play it and neither do they know how to play it. Because um, it is exhausting. <laughs> it yes. Is. I want to piggyback on that real quick. And I know we're coming up on time. So it'll be my last couple mm-hmm. questions. But this one, um, I want to ask, because you seem very authentic, very like, you know, comfortable and you, it doesn't seem like you're two different people. I feel like you're probably mm-hmm. the same person when you're on a work call as you are speaking to us right now. Yeah. This podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I want yeah. to get into a little bit of that. Um, have you always been this way? And did you ever think about, you know, having kind of, uh, you know, two, two personalities, you know, one for work and then some, yeah. another person you turn on after? Yeah. You know what? I do have two personalities. I mean, with corporate, you have to have, you have to be bicultural. Uh-huh. So, um, and it's like, it is, this is my personality. Like this is how I am at work, but where the difference does come in a little bit is with my clients. That's where I turn on something different. My clients are all white, middle-aged men. Have nothing in common, like zero in common. And so I am intentional on like, oh, okay, let's go meet for dinner. What are we going to, in my head, right? This is this whole <laughs> role play. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to spend two hours with this person. Of course, it's business, but you also, you know, you got to ask your personal questions and be fake like you're really interested and you're not so that's where it comes on you know what I mean where I say it's exhausting because that piece of it is not the natural me you know what I mean I'm asking about whatever it is or they're telling me about fishing I don't know anything about fishing but I'm I do know how to hold a conversation and I know how to ask oh really okay oh I know people who have done that have you ever fished on this lake oh my gosh I heard it's so hard but you know you go into this whole routine um so yeah that part of it client facing that is where yeah the other side kind of just comes out where the actor the unauthentic (laughs) self might come across um is with my clients at work I feel like I can be myself you know what I mean I work like I said I work with a nice team Viacom a little bit diverse like all kind of stuff I don't feel like I'm on but when I'm with clients in certain settings and meetings I do feel like, all right, here we go. Showtime. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Because I'm just sitting here like, you seem so comfortable. You know, is there another side so that it does come out? Yeah, with and then when you get to know your clients, like we work in pay TV, a lot of these people have been there for years. Like you've known them for years. So you do get a little bit more comfortable over time. So And you actually are interested in what happened the last time you saw them. Or gotcha. I might have told them something was happening. Or the last time they saw me, maybe I was pregnant. They're like, oh my gosh, your daughter's eight already. I'm like, I know. You know what I mean? So you do genuinely, you know, connect with the clients. But there are times when they're, you know, new people that I haven't met and I'm seeing for the first time. So yeah, you got to put something else on um, and go from there. I mean, I don't, I don't look at it as like being phony because it's still me but it is I am having conversations that I wouldn't have with my friends you know what I mean topics and things like that so is is definitely a bit different but like it's mostly when it's external client facing versus literally going into the office gotcha now 
Um, I want to conclude with some questions about legacy and mm-hmm. just what you hope your legacy is becoming, what you're excited about, or maybe things you want to add to the legacy or your legacy in, in the corporate space or just in general as a Black woman professional. Um, mm-hmm. Things or, you know, maybe quotes or models you live by, some things that, you know, are identifiable by your brand um, that people remember you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean... Legacy is such a strong word. That's like, oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) but no, I mean, just in corporate, I mean, I do think, I do want people to always know whoever comes in contact with me. And it goes back to what you said about just being authentic, like, and fair and reasonable. Um, I think that's usually one of the, I mean, this came up in one of my leadership style things again. It's like, oh, you're very fair and transparent. Like, that's the feedback I get. I try to, treat people equally. Um, I'm somewhat of a driver. Like I like results. Um, I realize what motivates me is a little bit of recognition. Like I don't need a whole lot of accolades. I just need somebody like, oh yeah, that was good. Like, you know, I'm one of those type of people. Um, But yeah, just be yourself, be confident, be, you know, be your best advocate for yourself. Like no one knows you better than you and everybody needs to hear it. Um, I hate when I hear people are being taken advantage of, like I said, like, what? They said, what? Like, I just get so riled up. And I'm just like, no, you can't do that. I get so pissed. But then sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I can't be more mad than you are. Like, you're the one still there. And I only can tell you what you should do and what you should tolerate and how it works. But if you're still going to take it, don't, you know, I, I learned early, like, stop fighting somebody else's battles you know um they need to fight for them if they really truly want to get out of that situation and that goes across career personal anything you know what I mean like you need to you know use your voice I mean that's the that's the biggest thing for me is like use your voice as powerful as yours is you know be confident about it like I said closed mouth doesn't get fed it's not what you deserve it's what you negotiate like I kind of live by I live by those. It's like, I have to, I have to ask what's the worst. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard this, but you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. You're not changing. Like I remember having conversations. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to have this. Like, but I always would go back to myself and say, you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't. So figure it out, get over it and just, just do it because you're going to be kicking yourself. I remember going in with my boss, even when I was at CBS every year. So CBS didn't have a formal review process. So it was no real accountability on how well I'm performing. We didn't really have individual goals. So it was just so weird. And I remember every year at the end of the year, I would come in with my accomplishments because I would keep them throughout the year. I did this, I did this, I brought in this, amount of revenue like I would have all my talking points again fighting for why I need to be moved up to the next position and it got to a point where he's like I don't need to even see that like I know what you're doing I said okay so then what are you doing then (laughs) like I don't understand I'm like okay if you're telling me I have all the skills already why am I not there and that's when you get the other side of that corporate conversation of timing 
Um, mm. Things may be happening. We're not, you know, you kind of get that wishy-washy stuff that's like, whatever. And then you still say, okay, well, we'll touch base in six months. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm looking for another job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you all, I always kept my resume updated. I all, I'm, my friends were like, you're looking again? I'm like, you just never know. Like, mm. they don't love me. There's <laughs> no loyalty. It is no loyalty here. So I just want to be ready. Like, yeah. So if something comes along and, and then even if it doesn't, you know, you're still getting practice. You're interviewing. I'm, I'm trying to see what's the market rate for what I do. How much is this salary? Oh, okay. I'll take that call. You know what I mean? It helps you even if you're not looking to go right away. It's never, I always, this is another thing I used to tell my nieces. I'm like, I never turn down an interview. I never do. Like, someone calls me out the blue on LinkedIn. Oh, I found you. Okay, let's chat. So no harm in talking. You, you're not committing yourself to anything, but you, it does give you a chance to ask questions. What are employers looking for? How much they're paying for that specific role? Um, you get a lot of information. So I always take, I always take interviews, phone calls. I take it all. And my friends are like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, yeah, why not? Or someone's like, I'm not really looking for such and such. Call me. Call them back. Why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. I, I am always, like, baffled by people. Like, oh, I'm going to pull my name out of the running. What? Why would you do that? That makes absolutely no sense. Like, you didn't even get anywhere yet. Why would you? So, anyway, that's another thing. I try to keep all my stuff updated as best as I can and, you know, take all calls and that stuff. But yeah, I don't know if this answers your legacy question. I know I kind of yeah. went, oh, went off on a tangent. No, that was good. I really enjoyed but, you know, touching on Yeah, I think people just need to use your voice. Just use it and let people know what's going on and anything. You know, they always say, you know, if you find something you enjoy, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. So. If you, and I actually enjoy people. So they're part of it. And I enjoy the people I'm working with, the products, the travel. We get to do some fun stuff. So, yeah, kind of enjoying the place that I'm in right now. But don't get it twisted. Somebody called me for an interview. I'm going to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I really appreciate all the gems you dropped in this conversation. I think that for sure people are going to come away with lots of things I know I definitely have I hope so I hope I was helpful I don't know <laughs> yeah no seriously it kind of felt like I was all over the place but I mean in between all of my disorganized thoughts no um, you have like hopefully a, something was helpful yeah you have such a long career to summarize in this episode <laughs> so you know it only makes sense that we cover it all which you know it was in different right you know avenues that you work yeah so it's all good I appreciated hearing all of the different facets that you've had experience in so that was well it was it was good speaking with you and you know listening to all of the transitions that I've had but yes I do think the baseline is the skill sets they all went across across the board so I think that's the one thing and being able to convey that whether or not you pivot to a different industry or things like that and just you know, sometimes you got to be, you got to be in it to win it. You know, you just never know. Mm -hmm. never know. Well, I, yeah. 
meet you. No, and thank you. Thank you for doing, taking this time to speak with us. Um, thank you, listeners, for sticking with us throughout the episode. I know. Thank you, guys. Hope you learned something. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it as much as I did speaking um, and listening. So, yeah, I think we can. All continue. right. Okay. Thank you.